At this point, every information portal is saturated with mindfulness content. But this show is a unique, unusual, curious take on mindfulness. Some of what you hear will be completely new to you. Let's dive in and take a look at the nature of the aware mind. I invite you to deepen your awareness so that you may be liberated and inspired. We are here with Sarah Vallely, mindfulness teacher, coach, and author. Sarah has been teaching meditation and mindfulness for the past two decades, training and certifying others to teach mindfulness. Sarah is the author of four books. Her latest book is titled Tame, Soothe, Dwell, The 55 Teachings of TSD Mindfulness. On today's episode, we talk about different definitions of enlightenment regarding liberation, transcendence, egocentric constructs. We also talk about nirvana and what people may or may not get out of an enlightenment experience. I'm Jacob Drossett. We are here with Sarah Valley. Sarah, how are you? I'm great, Jacob. Let's start with a few definitions of enlightenment and break them down. The first definition here is the illusion of the self, liberating the mind, taking a deeper look at what consciousness and awareness really is. One more definition, see the egocentric individualistic self as a conditional semiotic construct. When I first read this definition, I was like, I have no idea what that means. But I did look up semiotic and it means symbolic. Once I was meditating, my consciousness slowed down to such a degree that I actually saw a thought being born. And what that looked like was imagine taking a gallon of paint and pouring it on the floor. And then a symbol came out of that surface and it was a hammer. And to this day, I can't remember what the thought is that that instigated, but it instigated a thought. And I saw that whole process. We do operate in our psyche and symbols for sure. Maybe our idea of self is an illusion. Maybe our self is more of a symbol. What do you think? Can you read that definition one more time? Egocentric individualistic self as a conditional semiotic construct. That's a pretty far out definition. Because that sounds more like from a psychedelic world understanding than from a meditation world. The first definition, I was immediately um, reminded of like a lot of the stuff that I've listened to. The word non-duality is really used a lot in in all the things that I've heard and listened to. Like this is all a construct that we're experiencing. It's not really real. The Buddhists use the term nirvana and enlightenment interchangeably. I think people have different ideas of enlightenment. Enlightenment might be just a singular experience, or it might be this like permanent state that we attain. For me, I've always considered it to be an experience, like we have an enlightenment experience. So is enlightenment experience different from an awakening experience? How would you define an awakening experience? I had an experience in college feeling like I could just let go of worry for about three days. It lasted for three days. It was just like this voice from somewhere else said, you don't have to care about this. Like I, I just, I remember it so vividly. And, and then I had uh, an experience uh, just a few years ago after I read a book of just feeling like my thoughts were way in the background. They were really far back there. This has got to be close to something. I don't know if those are awakening experiences, enlightenment experiences, but I've heard that there's levels. There's like stream entry and then all the way up to Nibbana. The way you're talking about awakening experience is an insight. Those sound like really typical insights, which are powerful. An enlightenment experience 
is specifically about the no self experience, getting to a point where you, you don't identify with yourself at all. You don't even know that you exist. I mentioned in a previous episode that I had attained enlightenment three times, which maybe I shouldn't have just bolted out there because some unnamed individual called me up and said, people might think that you think you're walking around enlightened. (laughs) That's definitely not what I meant. Anybody who spent any amount of time with me and knows I'm not enlightened. So basically doing this whole episode to make up for the fact that I, I opened my big mouth and said all that. It takes about 60 to 90 minutes of meditation, meditating for that long before I have one of these experiences. Twice when I had this quote enlightenment experience, I was actually doing walking meditation. And walking meditation does not mean you go to the park and take a walk. That's great if you go for a walk and you try to clear your mind and just stay in the moment, but that's that's not what walking meditation is. Walking meditation is very slow. You're not actually walking to any destination. You're pacing back and forth because it takes too much thinking to navigate actually getting anywhere. And you're walking so slow that it takes about five minutes to walk about three yards. Like you're super slow. And then you might walk the three yards and then turn around and walk back. When I had these experiences, I stopped receiving certain information. And the information that I stopped receiving is that I'm a person. I stopped receiving information that I had a body, uh, that I had a personality. I stopped receiving information that my name was Sarah, that I was distinct from the objects around me. I stopped receiving information that the objects around me were a certain distance away from me. So because I wasn't getting any of that information, I thought I was the objects around me. My HVAC system was on and I could hear the fan. And so I thought I was the fan. This is probably going to need some clarification for some people listening. You thought you were a fan. How, how do you think that you're a fan? And how is that desirable? How is it desirable that I didn't have a body? Why would this be something that I should strive for? I'm with you. I think that enlightenment experience is overrated. I think part of it for me, what it comes down to is, you know, I could have seen the true nature of reality. I could have seen that really I am everything, or I could have just deactivated a part of my brain that gives me that information. Like to this day, I I don't know. If I was a pure Buddhist, then I would know that I saw the true nature of reality. I don't know if I was overriding a part of my brain. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to keep harping on this book (laughs) until you read it eventually. Okay. The Headless Way. Yeah. Douglas Harding grew up in some war-torn country a long time ago. He was actually an architect, but he had this experience in the Himalayas looking out. And then he said that all of his thoughts ceased and you know, he began looking around and seeing hands, but not connecting with the hands that he saw. So very similar experience to what you described, but that the whole idea is just looking out and seeing you don't see yourself. When I'm listening to someone talk, that was the biggest thing is that I'm able to just let myself melt and just look at that person. And that person is there. 
I think if people who are pure Buddhists have that experience, I think probably what they take away from it is, oh, I had that experience of interconnectedness with all things. That wasn't necessarily what I took away from it. More what I took away from it was, oh, I get all the people who are talking about we're living in a simulation. It makes sense now. <laughs> like that's, that's pretty much what I took away from it. It does remind me of the documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix. Yeah, I think you'd like it. It actually didn't get great reviews, but if you have any interest in this whole idea that we're living in a simulation, it, it tackles that question. I actually listened to a, a physicist talk about how, how we, we're not living in a simulation. And you know what the reason was? that it, it's very inefficient. Everything is made of atoms and atoms are so complex. He was like, it's a waste of time for toilet paper to be made out of, out of atoms. He was like, so if somebody did design it, they must've been very bored before they designed it because it's mm -hmm. like so complex. It doesn't logically make any sense. <laughs> and that's, that's been my working definition for why we may not live in a simulation ever since, but yeah. I want to watch that the glitch in the matrix. I don't, want people to take away from this that I'm saying that I think we're living in a simulation. I don't. I'm a spiritual person, so that's not my line of thinking, but it's definitely an interesting topic. The other thing with these enlightenment experiences is I didn't gain any healing from the experience. I believe when we have deep experiences that the ones that involve healing are, are really important. And I actually teach a method for, for attaining a certain experience that's called integration. And that's more spiritual based and it is very healing. So here are a few things that people say are the outcomes of an enlightenment experience, or possibly the way we could define somebody who has gained some enlightenment. I'm going to give my opinion on these, whether or not I believe this enlightenment experience supports us to attain these. So this one, recognize that your thinking is based on illusion. I think that just a simple mindfulness practice does this. By the time I'd had these experiences, I'd already been practicing mindfulness for quite a while, already was at the point where I understood a lot of my thinking was based on illusion. Another idea here is when we have this enlightenment experience, we stop perceiving events as desirable or undesirable. I consider this to be a practice of neutrality. No, I don't think that these enlightenment experiences I had helped with this because I still struggle. To be in a neutral place is difficult. And that's definitely something I'm still working on in, in my practice. There's an amazing book called After the Ecstasy, the Launch, Jack Cornfield And I had actually read that around the time that I had had a couple of like really kind of breakthrough experiences. And I realized that you can go on retreat and then when you come back, you still have your life. Just like when you have this amazing experience, when you come back from it, you still have your whole past. Your whole self is still there, real or not. You know, it's, it's still there. Your conditioning's there, your opinions and, and everything that you forged over time. I think a lot of people, when they first start, they want to be enlightened. They really push for a long time to try to get to that place. And then once you touch it, you think your whole life is better and it probably lasts for about two weeks. And then you explode on somebody and you're like, okay, well, I guess I'm not as enlightened as I thought. And many gurus out in the world, like meditation gurus, have caused a lot of harm with people. And they've really done a lot of pretty atrocious things and abusive things. And, but these are people that are recognized as having real insight, people whose books sell a lot of copies and, 
and uh, people trusted them with their money and their their life and and then they abused it why because even if they had a deep deep insight it doesn't mean that they still aren't very defective in other ways and they need more work going back to this idea of neutrality i mean it's a hard one i mean take a moment and think of something that you feel neutral about Last time I did this exercise, one of the only things I could come up with is an avocado. <laughs> I'll eat them because I know they're good for me. I don't dislike them. I don't love them. I just throw them in my smoothie and that's that. So I have kind of a neutral perspective on avocados, but pretty much everything else in my life, it's positive or negative. I think we're just really designed to perceive that way. And it's it takes a lot of practice to override that. The only thing that I see right now, I have my liquor shelf over here with my my nice bourbon collection and all that. <laughs> the only thing I got is gin. So you're, neutral. you're neutral. You're neutral about gin. <laughs> about gin. I like gin well enough, but like uh-huh. I don't seek it out. I don't push it away. If somebody said, oh, I got you a gin and tonic. I'd be like, oh, nice. Cool. That's <laughs> It'll do. That's, that, that, that's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's about all I got in my immediate environment anyway. Yeah. That's, that's about it. Yeah. I think all of us can be open to bringing more neutrality into our, our practice. It's a Buddhist idea. If we're feeling positive or negative about something, then we're attached to something about it. Uh, and when we're in that neutral space, there's a lot less attachment. Lack of attachment can help with perception. We can actually perceive things more correctly if we're less attached and we're in a more neutral mindset. We can heal better when we're more neutral, mentally neutral. When we're mentally neutral, we can move through healing much more easily because it's actually our positive or negative, especially the negative perceptions in our mental capacities that get in the way of our own healing. So when I work with people with past trauma and do healing work, part of the the work is moving into more of a neutral mindset about their emotions and just sitting with their emotions. I wanted to share a realization that I had about this was more or less understanding that the idea of impermanence, everything is going to come and go good or bad. And that to me was where I found the, the middle way of like, okay, so when a good thing is here, enjoy it. It's not going to last. And when a bad thing is here, don't freak out. It will also end. And to me, that was how I found my neutral. Mm -hmm. Neutral is actually the absence of the grasping and the pushing. Here are some of what people say are outcomes of an enlightenment experience. If we have an enlightenment experience, we will stop perceiving problems as problems, but instead become part of life, which seems to flow. And that seems to be, Jacob, what you were just mentioning. Did this get better after my enlightenment experiences? I think this is something that I'm getting better at, but I don't attribute it to those experiences. I think just a mindfulness practice, mindfulness mindset has helped with this. Another outcome is said to be that we understand that we are not the voice of the mind, but instead we are the one who hears it. Not be the one who's thinking the thoughts, but be an observer of those thoughts being thunk. (laughs) This is something that develops as a result of a mindfulness practice. And I don't think, I don't relate this at all to the enlightenment experiences I had. And the last one here that I want to share, people say that an outcome of an enlightenment experience is that we receive insights. And I do agree with this. I, it's been a while since I've had those enlightenment experiences, but I'm pretty sure I had some insights as a result. But I will also say that some mindfulness practices, 
short exercises or a sitting practice definitely open us up to insights. We by no means need to have an enlightenment experience to start having insights. That's a big outcome of when I work with my clients and my students as they start having um, some really important insights. I spend a large amount of my time when meditating, focusing on the illusion of the self and breaking free from that. And I have an app on my phone that sends me, it's the Headless Way app, by the way, see that you can't see yourself and, and essentially breaking from this notion of of the small self to the larger self, you know, and, and that's their words. I think it was Jack Cornfield that said, you're real. You're just not really real. <laughs> this is not necessarily the nature of the way things actually are. That is what, what I'm queuing into. I have a little bit of, of a different perspective on that, but it's just like tools for exercise or anything else is that everybody has different things that work for them. I don't think I would have ever been interested if there was no notion of achieving something. <laughs> I needed a goal. I needed the Olympics of meditation. Where is it? I want to go to it. I need to get enlightened. That's what I want. And now it's like, once I've, I've touched it and I now try to go back to that as often as possible to have these, because as soon as I do, then I'm now way more busted open and, and accepting of things. I definitely don't think I've ever met anyone that's enlightened. I know for a fact, I'm not enlightened at all <laughs> by a large stretch, but for me, having the non-dual insight was, was a pivotal moment in my practice to get me very interested in all this. But very similar to you, that in and of itself did very little for helping with my integration into society, except I will say my listening ability probably went up 10x. I think I became 10 times the listener I am I was after that insight. You helped me see something with what you just said. Since I've had these enlightenment type experiences, I do understand these philosophies and concepts in these Buddhist books better. When I'm reading a Buddhist book and they're explaining certain things, I have a much better frame of reference, more yeah. concrete frame of yeah. reference. Some of the things they're talking about that seem so like out there and theoretical are actually concrete for me because I've actually experienced it. If somebody listens to this and says, oh, I want some of that, that sounds exciting. That's a liability with people sharing that was a big taboo with teachers that they were really not allowed to speak about their experiences. They had to just use the teachings that were passed down. And then I, I believe it was pretty re relatively recently in the history of, of the practices that people started sharing their experiences because then it gives a striving goal to people. I'm going to try to have that experience. Then they're going to just be chasing this the whole time. Listening to what Sarah says, I think is like, sure, that's great, but you still got work to do. And, you know, I think ultimately what we're both saying is it can help. It's a tool. It's a thing that that does happen. It's amazing, but it doesn't mean that it's going to really help integrate into your life and change you fundamentally and make you more pleasant to be around and a better listener and all that stuff. I hear a lot of teachers speak about this stuff this exact same way that Sarah is talking about it as like, sure, it's great, but that's not necessarily the point, especially if you lean into the idea of neutrality. Personally, I've got more out of my sitting mindfulness practice than I have out of these three enlightenment experiences. I've also gone a lot, gotten a lot out of my 
quote, integration experiences, which are more spiritual, uh, but that's not the topic of this episode. Uh, I want to talk about a research article I read on this topic. The gist of this article was there is not an assessment that exists that measures how enlightened someone is. (laughs) And they said that the closest available test to assess how enlightened someone is are the mindfulness skills tests, which I was like, oh, yay, yay. So if you're more mindful, you're more enlightened. So I like that. And these mindfulness skills tests test your awareness of the present moment, your focused attention, your non-judgmental awareness, your non-evaluation of what's occurring. What this article and study, what they did is they actually created an assessment to give to people to find out their level of enlightenment. One of the interesting things that came out of them administering this assessment is that the scores for men and women were about the same. There were were categories of questions in this assessment. One of them is letting it be. So I take that to be letting go of outcome, embracing uncertainty. Yes, I think that's a great category. Another category they called non-negativity. I don't really like that name. I would replace non-negativity with neutrality. Another category is wholeness. I have mixed feelings about a category of wholeness in this assessing how enlightened we are. I'm very broken. (laughs) I've been through so much. I'm broken. Does that mean that I can't ever attain enlightenment. I kind of struggle with that. Another category is inner quiet. I'd say, yes, that helps flow and trust. Definitely. Those are such important energies to move into. And I believe that neutrality and humility are what really help us move into flow and trust. Another category is aliveness. And I struggle with this one too, because I got in an accident last year and I literally was on my couch for five months doing nothing I wasn't very feeling very alive, but that was actually a relatively enlightening experience. I learned a lot about myself. Another category is open-heartedness. If any of my students are listening, they know I have a really hard time with the term open heart. I'm opening my heart. I actually specifically tell my students, ask them, beg them, please don't use that term because that also means you're saying that your heart was closed. And I don't believe people are walking around with closed hearts. They might be walking around with hearts that are guarded because of trauma that they've been through, but I don't like the idea of a closed heart. So I would change that to self-compassion. How much self-compassion do you have? And another category is love of nature. I don't know. I'm probably going to like cross some lines here and people are going to disagree with me, but how much you love nature determines how enlightened you are. I, I don't know. I don't buy it. And another category is non-materialism. Okay, this one is like the worst one on here. I would say neutrality around materialism. Just hearing all those words, I'm like not very motivated to read that because it just doesn't sound very uh, reputable to me. It, it sounds non-scientific, let's mm-hmm. say. Like, how do you define those things? But, uh, yeah, I don't like the word open-hearted only because I've just never had experiences like that in a sense. I have a lot of like hesitations when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And then usually my hesitation is broken at some point. And then I get through to the other side and I see it same with like loving kindness. That one got flipped over a few years ago and it now it's very important to me. 
The Aware Mind Podcast is a TSD Mindfulness production. Please visit our website at tsdmind.org. That is T as in tame, S as in soothe, and D as in dwell. Mind as in mindfulness.org. Check out our blog post for this episode with links to supplemental information such as worksheets you can use to put into practice the mindfulness skills shared in this episode. Also, please sign up for our newsletter and receive mindfulness tips. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at aware underscore mind underscore podcast. Thank you.